This is the podcast by the Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Life Picks, in which we recommend the best in arts and entertainment. This week, our guests will recommend some killer bossy banmian for you to eat, and a new play called Eat Duck. Sounds intriguing. And the big annual music festival that needs no introduction, Baby Eats. Alright, let's start with Anjali Raguraman, who writes entertainment and nightlife for The Straits Times. So, tell us all about Baby Eats. Alright. Hey, John. Hey, actually. <laughs> okay. So, if you're familiar, every year there's... Baby Eats at the Esplanade, which is the annual free alternative music festival. Mm-hmm. And plenty of rock acts. And recently, there have been a bunch of hip-hop acts. So you're mm. going to get the gamut of like... You know I'm all about the hip-hop, right? Really now, John. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they only introduced that last year. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so this is the second time round, And they've upped the number of acts performing. There's a, a rapper from Indonesia called Ramen Girl. Ooh. She's pretty sick. I like the name. But there's also a bit of local representation, okay. thankfully, with a, a Singaporean rapper called Mean. Mm? Mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's got a new album coming out later this year, mm-hmm. and he's going to be dropping some new tracks. So you might fresh from the studio Wow. at Babies, which all f- yeah. All free. All free. Amazing. So across multiple venues at the Esplanade from August 23rd to 25th this weekend. Sounds amazing. All right. I'll yeah. definitely put it on my calendar. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and our arts correspondent, Olivia Ho, will tell us about a new play called Eat Duck. Eat Ducks by Checkpoint Theatre. It's a debut work by an up-and-coming playwright called Zenda Tan. I think it's the first piece that she's putting out with Checkpoint. And it's a multi-generational play set at mm. a funeral. Well, at a wake, a void deck wake. And it's going to be directed by Claire Wong. And I'm sure funerals are something that everyone has at least been to or experienced in some way. And it's about the kinds of conflict that you get into when you've got a lot of your estranged family, extended family coming together Mm -hmm. and seeing each other dealing with issues, you know, that you've buried in your past. So it's multi-generational in more ways than one because Zenda Tan is the student of Faith Ng who was the student of Huzio Sulaiman, one of the joint artistic directors of Checkpoint and Claire Wong's husband. So she's in a way the grand student mm. of Huzia. So it's nice to see this kind of... Um, Multi-generational yeah, and, um, link. Yeah, and this effort to build up young writers as well. So, Is it necessarily going to be downer of a play though? I know you haven't seen it yet. But is it necessarily going to be a sad event because it's dealing with death and grief and things like that? I don't know necessarily if we would categorize it as a sad play. I think it's going to try to, you know, look at different ways to deal with grief. It might be sad, it might be wry, it might be blackly funny. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And because it's Checkpoint Theatre and you know the lineage of the writers and the director... Is it going to be stylized, very highly theatrical kind of a production or is it going to be more natural, more Singaporean? 
Well, from what I do know is that there's going to be a lot of folding of paper money. Folding of paper. So when I visited okay. the rehearsal, there were stains. They've got like those big round tables that you see at the funerals. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of stains on the chairs because the actors have been folding so much paper money. This um, is the side of acting they never tell you about. Right? Yeah, all the ink on your fingers because of the folding and the folding, the endless folding. So um, anyone who's been to like a Taoist funeral will know the experience of folding paper money, which you do to you know, send your deceased off with a lot of yeah. savings in the afterlife. You can take it with you. Right, next, food. And we have our esteemed food writer, Hedy Koo, to tell us about some killer noodles. Yes, absolutely killer noodles. It's ban mian. And it's called Bossy Ban Mian, which sounds really bossy, but that's because this guy who opened the stall had dreams of opening his own Ban Mian stall since young. Um, <laughs> and the recipe comes from his mom. Yeah. And the recipe is exactly what his mom cooks for his own family at home, you know, from the time that they were kids. And the only difference is that he doesn't make his own noodles because it's just too much work. Because it's just him and his mom working at the stall. So there's no way they can make the noodles from scratch, although they know how. But he took about a year to find the correct supplier that was approved by his mom. You know, where the noodles are like very chewy, springy, QQ, and it's very close to what they would actually make themselves. So Mm. he said he went through a lot of suppliers, you know, trying out samples for a year before he finally found what met the standards of his mom. And she agreed to help him out in this business. But he's the one that does the cooking. And this ban mian is very interesting because I'm not usually a fan of ban mian, but I fell in mm-hmm. love with this ban mian because everything... A lot of people find ban mian a bit too soupy, a uh, yeah. bit too yes. bland. Or over uh, seasoned with a lot of MSG. MSG. Yeah, and, and then you feel thirsty after you drink the, the soup. The yeah. yeah. But the beauty of this one is that it comes across as you're going to someone's house and someone's mum made it for you. It's that kind of feeling when you eat it. It's like the feeling of home. That's what I came away, you know, after having the ban mian there. And his ban mian is great because the soup is not overly greasy. And he mm. doesn't use soybeans for his stock. So he uses really pork bones and ikan bilis. And his ikan bilis, he uses a premium quality. And even for the fried ikan bilis, he is so, you know, he's a little bit OCD. So he fries all the ikan bilis himself instead of getting the ready-made ones from the factory, you know, that comes all sugared up. Yeah. So his ikan bilis is very clean looking, just a light golden brown. And he fries up a batch like every one or two weeks. And it's very crispy and he's very insistent that it's served on the side instead of, you know, being thrown into... Yeah, because Yes, because he himself is very particular about eating pan mian and he likes it this way. And Mm -hmm. also because when he serves it this way, you can actually control the amount of salt that you want in your own pan mian when he serves it to you. So if you like it saltier, you can add in more of the ikan bilis. If you like it less, you know, well, I guess you just let it go to waste on the side. Yeah. And And where can one find this excellent pan mian? Serangoon Garden... Market and Food Centre and it's just $4. Oh, that's kind of near where we are. Yes, exactly. And it's actually the name Bossy is a play on the word Bossy, you know, (laughs) like he wants to be boss. And if you get the soup version because he has a dry version too, his soup version comes with a green chilli sauce made from green chilli paddy and garlic that he grinds up himself. It's a fresh sauce that you don't usually find with other Pamian stalls. And you can add prawns and canned clams. But his prawns, he uses like fresh prawns, you know, from the market. And even for the minced pork in the soup, it's chilled pork. 
this guy is crazy. He's not even using frozen meat, you know. He's very insistent on all these little details. But I also like dry panmian. Is there that option? He has, he has dry panmian. But to be honest, after having the soup version, I found the dry version a little bit bland because what he told me was a lot of the customers around that area, they tend to be a little bit more mature and very health conscious. So they kept telling him to cut back on the seasoning until now, it has reached a point where I tasted it and it just didn't really get me. Are um, you telling me yeah. that the customer is not always right? Yes, yes. <laughs> if the customer is not I'm me. If I'm the customer, <laughs> then I'm always right. Okay. Oh, unless you are yes, the customer. Yes, absolutely. You know, this is dictatorship. Okay. Yeah. There's also an unagi restaurant you want to yes. tell us about. Yes, there is. We love them eels. Oh, yes, yes. But I'm not sure whether the eels love you back, but that's another story altogether. Mm. But there's this new restaurant called Una Una at Boogie's Plus, and they are serving up this charcoal grilled unagi. And they have it in two ways. One is unagi hitsuma bushi, which is their signature dish. And you can have this unagi three ways, uh, you know, on its own with the rice, you know, apparently they make their own unagi sauce that's from a secret recipe that they refuse to say anything about except that it's made from shoyu sugar, brown sugar and mirin. But the secret lies in the technique, you know, the quantity and all that. But the interesting thing about this is that they charcoal grill the unagi twice and this is apparently in the style from Nagoya. So where the meat side of the eel, because one side is the skin, right? And the meat side is a bit more crispy. It's crispier. So, mm. you know, you get a slight crispy, crunchy bits. Yeah, yeah. I can't stand the steamed microwave-looking unagi that's all soggy and floppy. That's terrible. And I've where are that. you having that at home? I, I won't <laughs> tell you. <laughs> they also have a Tokyo-style unagi, which is known as unaju, in which it is uh, more control is needed to execute the grilling so that the unagi remains very plump and very soft and very tender. So it's not as grilled as the one for the Nagoya-style one. And what the chef told me was that, you know, it's good to start off with the Hitsumabushi style. You try that and then... When you decide that you really want to, you know, enjoy the eel on its own, you go for the unaju style because that one is usually eaten without condiments. Mm. So don't ask for your wasabi if you're eating the <laughs> unaju style, alright? Yeah. You'll get corrected. <laughs> okay, how much is all that unagi goodness going to cost me? Okay, the unagi hitsumabushi set is nineteen eighty plus plus, and then for the unaju set, I tried the one with the salmon ikura. It is twenty six dollars eighty cents plus. That's uh, yeah. surprisingly affordable based yes. on what you tell yes. me. Yeah. This restaurant is deliberately keeping its prices affordable so that everyone can enjoy. You know how unagi should be enjoyed, but without burning a hole in your pocket. Lovely, so great. With those recommendations, those are our picks for the week. Thank you so much, Anjali. Thanks, John. Olivia. Hi. Bye. <laughs> and Hedy. I'm so hungry. <laughs> As we are. Until the next episode of Life Picks, go to The Straits Times for our gig picks, food picks, arts picks and film picks. Bye. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.